Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are discussing Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix movie circa 2007. Um, Back to our movie episodes, tearing them apart in comparison to the books. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to do this like our Goblet of Fire episode, so there are going to be two. um, We don't know exactly where we're going to split it yet, um, but it'll be about halfway through. And then there'll be another episode on the second half of the movie. Yeah, coming out a week after instead of two weeks, if you are listening as they come out. Yep. And so our patron of the episode is Leia. Thank you, Leia, for all of your support, um, pretty much from day one. Yeah. We appreciate you. We really do. You're awesome. So, super quickly, before we get into the episode, this is, like, semi-unrelated, but I'm calling on you guys for some help. So, over, like, Christmas, I got back into reading. Like, I read so many books over Christmas. I was reading, like, a book a day for a little bit there. And I want to try and motivate motivate myself to continue that into the 2021 calendar year. So I've decided that to kind of like help me with that, I'm going to be reading a book a month. And each month I want to read a book with the name of the month in the book title, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I've tried to explain this so many times and there's no like simple way to say it. But for example, for January, I read the book The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex Harrow. A really beautifully written book. I highly recommend it if you're looking for like, it's almost got like a sense of like magical realism to it. Um, Mm. It's really, really good. Anyways, so I need suggestions. So if you've ever read a book or if you've heard of a good book that have month names in it, let me know for some like it doesn't have to be a reference to the month too. Like in the 10,000 doors of January, like the main character's name is January. So April can be in reference to a person, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not, like, super picky about, like, that. that Like, the month of the title doesn't have to be referencing, like, the month. It can mean something else. But if you have any suggestions, please, please, please send them my way. I need help. And if you want to read along with me, I am posting this on my TikTok. So... <laughs> Go check that out. At, do you do a review? <laughs> yeah, so I, I posted kind of like, not so much a review, but like more my thoughts on the book that I read for January and kind of just like giving you information that I like to know. Like if I were trying to sell somebody on reading the book or give them the information I think they would want to just help them decide whether they wanted to read the book or not, um, it's Katie Kane underscore, spelled K-E-A-N-E. Check that out if you want. Wow. Such a Gen z I know. Well, to be fair, I don't really know how TikTok works. Like, I tried to go back and add captions. And I think you have to add captions as you record the clips. I have no idea. So I'm not too Gen Z. I still don't really know how TikTok <laughs> works. So Nice. Yeah. But anyway, getting into the episode, we're going to start out by talking about some casting decisions some new cast members, and then some special effects because 
we added this to the beginning after kind of the first episode where we talked about the special effects as they popped up. It's easier to just kind of talk about them up front. So the first person we're talking about is Miss Ivana Lynch, Dancing with the Stars icon <laughs> as Luna Lovegood. Um, I really enjoy this casting. I think kind of the fandom as a whole really loves this casting. People love Ivana mm-hmm. Lynch as Luna, yeah. and I think she does a really great job. And honestly, I think this is my favorite, like, Luna performance. I think I like the Luna in Order of the Phoenix the best out of all the Lunas. I don't know what it is. I feel like this is just, like, a book and movie. Like, this is just the Luna book. Like, yeah. Like, when I think of Luna, I'm like, Order of the Phoenix. I have to take a second when I'm like, what does she do in Half-Blood Prince? What does yeah. she do in Deathly Hallows? But, like... Luna is an Order of the Phoenix character. I think I also, her hair in this movie, I think is just longer than it is in the other movies. Um, mm, and I just, I really like the look of it, like kind of out, how outrageously long her hair looks. <laughs> I think just is, I don't know, so fitting. It has some like of the most iconic Luna moments, like with yeah. the Thestral and stuff. So I really like this casting a lot. Yeah, I agree. So then um, the next new casting in this movie is Imelda Staunton as Dolores Jane Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Minister of Magic. Um, So I didn't write notes on any of these because I wrote that we needed to talk about these and then I didn't write notes. But no, I think um, she's really good in this role and... I know that, like, everyone always says this, and it's, like, maybe kind of offensive to her, but, like, she just looks like Umbridge. Like, she fits the description really well, and obviously part of that is, like, her acting and her costuming and everything, but I think it was a really good casting choice. Um, She's very easy to dislike. I mean, even when... I saw her in the Downton movie, and you, like, kind of are supposed to not like her there, too, and it's just, like, there's something about her that (laughs) she just plays characters that you're easy to hate, um, but she does a great job with, like, the facade of Umbridge, you know, the, like, (laughs) high-pitched, and all of that, so I think overall good casting, um, and a good performance by her. I don't know her much outside of this, like, I think the only other thing I know her in is the Downton movie. There is something else that she's in. Like, obviously there's other things that she's in, but I think there's something else that I just recently watched with her in, or at least, like, I saw a commercial for or a preview for, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> Wait, when you Google her, you know how Google does, like, people also ask. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the questions is, who plays the pink lady in Harry Potter? <laughs> Oh, I love that. Apparently she was in Maleficent. Oh, yeah, she plays um, one of the, like, fairies in Malef- in the Maleficent movie. Mm, interesting. I can't picture her in that, yeah. And in the Paddington series. I haven't seen those. Yeah. Well, no, I think um, my point to that was just, like, I feel like she is Umbridge. Like, it's another one of those castings where she just really becomes the character and like if I see her in anything else I'm just gonna think of Umbridge. Same thing with Ivana Lynch and Luna. 
Yeah, I do want to like shout out the writing of Umbridge too. I think her dialogue, not only does Imelda, I think, act it really well, I think the dialogue does a really good job with that and the writing. Um, I generally sometimes don't love the writing of the Harry Potter movies, <laughs> but I do think that they got Umbridge correct in the movie. And I think that's a combination of both like the creative team as well as like Imelda herself. Yeah. Just wanted to shout that out. Um, we're only talking about women, which <laughs> we love. Um, but the, the last one we're going to talk about is Natalia Tenya as Tonks. And I really like her as an actress. She's in Game of Thrones and plays a really, like, compelling character in that mm. series. Like, mm -hmm. she's... Um, like, I'm sure that was fun for her to act, you know. She's not kind of a normal character. Yeah. Um, she's a little bit crazy, um, but it's fine. And then she also is in an, an episode of The Mandalorian. Um, she plays a Twi'lek, and you cannot tell it's her at all. Under the makeup, the voice, <laughs> nothing. You really can't. Um, so I like her just kind of as an actress in general. I do think this is my favorite Tonks movie, just like it's my favorite Luna movie. Um, I like the look of her the best in this movie. The, like, bleached mullet that she's got in the next movie is, like, one of the most ugly things I've ever uh, seen in my life. Um, she also, like, doesn't speak in the next two movies. Like, not at all. Not that she really speaks in this movie, but we get a nod to, like, her her clumsiness. She, like, runs into something when they get when they get to Grimmauld Place. And then there's also a nod to her being a metamorph magus in this movie that is never brought up or talked about or explained at all in general. So. I also, I'm just looking at her on Google too, and I just want to point out, so she is only 36 now, so she wow. was 23 when this movie came out. Wow. Um, or around then, maybe a little younger when it was filmed. And so I think that's awesome because that's like how old she's kind of supposed to be yeah you know she's supposed to be like only have been out of hogwarts for a couple of years and i really like that they did that because because like they kind of made the mistake with like the marauders generation of aging yeah. them up a ton in the movie so it makes it makes her and lupin seem even weirder because like um what's his name david 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 Thules. Thules. <laughs> Thules. Um, he looks, like, even older, but, yeah. um, yeah, I, I just like that she was, like, around the right age, I like, when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I have thoughts about Tonks in this movie in general that we'll talk about later. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's really all I could think of as far as, like, notable new characters in that we haven't already discussed. Yeah. Um, so then onto special effects. Um, the I couldn't really think of a ton. I feel like it's less obvious how... Like, it's less... Special effects are, like, less of a thing to talk about because we're, like, this came out in 2007. Like, we're kind of getting there and, yeah. like, things aren't terrible, you know? Like, uh, well, um, are things terrible? <laughs> I mean, Grop is... Definitely not great, <laughs> but it doesn't, I know, like, people talk about this a lot, 
not a lot, but like maybe a lot for like how in- insignificant a part of the movie it is. Um, it doesn't really bother me that much because it's like, it's like he's literally in the movie for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And I think that if they were going to give Grop a bigger role in the movie, they would have like spent more time on it. I would hope. Um, he looks really fake and it's just like not great. I don't know. If you can articulate that better than I can. Well, so for me, like, the problem comes more into, like, how he looks than I think, like, really the special effects surrounding him. His face just... And I get that maybe they were trying to go for, like, giants don't look like like humans. Mm-hmm. You know, like, maybe they have a different look. But, like, he looks kind of ridiculous. Like, I don't know if it's how, like, much his ears stick out or, like, how small his, his eyes are, are in comparison to, like, the rest of his head. Like, his face also isn't, like, smooth. Like, it's really, like, bumpy and uneven. Mm-hmm. And I get that maybe they are trying to make him look distinct to a human. Because, yeah, like, giants so. are not human. Not just, like, big humans. Yeah, but it just made him look kind of, like, ridiculous and silly. Is, I think I, it definitely looks silly. I think that's more of, like, the problem with me than how, like, they integrated him into this scene through, like, CGI and special effects. It's more, like, the look that they chose for him. And maybe that is down to, like, what special effects and CGI skill that they had. I don't know. Mm. But at the end of the day, the character design, I think, is the bigger problem for me than the actual, like, superimposing him into the scene if that makes sense at all yeah and I wonder if that like has to come with like like when they do the close-up of his face they like didn't know how to do that yeah I Um, mean it very well could be a combination of the both of those things that I talked about again I don't I don't know how special effects work so I don't either um but honestly like I don't know I felt like this is worth talking about because it's not good like it doesn't yeah it's, it's not like it, I guess you're right, and it's not like the integration into the scene, but I think the, like, when he picks up Hermione specifically, yeah. it's weird, and maybe that's why it's weird to me, is, like, what you pointed out, it's, like, you get a closer look at his face then. Yeah. Um, but, honestly, like, the whole, the thing on the whole, it doesn't bother me. I, like, forget Groff is even in this movie, because they basically cut him out, like, I mean, he's bar- he's not really in the book a ton either, but it just feels insignificant in the movie. It's like, he's literally on screen for, like, maybe a minute. Yeah. So. I think what is really funny to me is that looking back on, like, the troll scene, I don't know how far we've come from that <laughs> to this, you know? Like, <laughs> Um, I mean, the troll thing, though, like, when... The, uh, the Harry being tossed around by the troll yeah. is, like, the most egregious part of that scene. That's what so, I was to be fair, like, Hermione like, definitely looks more like she's getting picked up by a yeah. giant than Harry looks like he's getting thrown around <laughs> by a troll. That is true. That so, like, is we've true. come somewhere there. Yeah, but in general, it doesn't look the best, and... Honestly, this might be, like, controversial. I don't know if it is or not, but I don't know how important it was to include him in the movie at all. Yeah. You know, they cut out so many other things, and I guess, like, it kind of ties into, like, Hagrid 
and like why his trip took longer but they don't even bring up like madame maxine doesn't get back earlier than him so it's not like weird that he was gone for so long so you could easily just not have him be in the movie at all and then have it not look that bad save all that money on like the special effects in cgi and kind of beef up some of the scenes that need more beefing up in my opinion such as the scene in dumbledore's office like when they when umbridge catches them Mm -hmm. um that scene was so quick so short basically none of that made it into the movie like you could have beefed up that scene you could have like beefed up the end scene with Dumbledore explaining things to Harry that again was pretty much non-existent in the movie so at the end of the day I don't even know how crucial it was for them to include this at all and they in my opinion I don't know if they should have I also think that it's not something that you have to throw in for like fan appreciation like people like people aren't like particularly attached to grop like if you had cut like for example the the weasley exit Mm. scene in the book well and we'll get we'll get to this in the book it serves a purpose to the plot in the movie it it doesn't but Obviously, they had to include some nod to it because yeah. like, people would have been up in arms if you didn't get Fred and George's exit. Yeah. Um, and what I'm, I don't know what I'm saying is, is like people wouldn't have been up in arms if Grop had been cut out. No, I don't. People would have been so. like, this is another thing, like, kind of wrong with the movie, but we get the decision you made because you. You have to cut things. Yeah, and then, I mean, the only other kind of part is at the end when they, like, when the centaurs come, like, you could have that scene easily without Grop, you know? He doesn't have to be there. They don't explain the whole, They don't like, explain the centaur thing anyway. the centaurs yeah. anyway, so, like, why, why do you have to, like, need Grop to save yeah. Harry and Hermione? Yeah. Which, like, he doesn't even really do in the movie. He just kind of, like, shows up and then Harry and Hermione back away. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it definitely is, they, like, the, well, words. The fact that they could have cut out Grop kind of just, like, popped into my brain now. I've never really thought about it before. And as we're kind of talking this out, it makes so much sense for them to have cut him out, honestly, at the end of the day. But here we are. Um, then the other kind of special effects thing that I'm going to talk about is the Voldemort Dumbledore duel. Sorry, that was kind of hard to say. Dumbledore duel. Um, I think this, I don't know if this is like an unpopular opinion or like a controversial opinion. I think this scene is great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the special effects with like specifically the fire and the water, like those are two things that are like historically really historically probably not the right choice of words like really hard for like cgi and animators to get looking correctly that's why like shout out to disney go listen to the great movie podcast if you haven't that's why the moana animation of water is so beautiful Mm. in that movie because animating water is a really difficult thing to do like animating natural things are always so much harder than animating real things hence why pixar started out animating not humans in their movies such as toys such as cars it's easier than actual humans but anyways i think it looks great i think cinematically it's amazing it's grand it's suspenseful it's 
epic. Like, epic is just, I feel like, the correct word for it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it really shows... The only thing that I maybe don't love about it, and this might be the way in the book, I don't... Even though I literally just listened to this part of the book, like, maybe an hour ago, I'm not exactly sure, kind of how evenly matched Dumbledore and Voldemort are. Like, I kind of wish Dumbledore had, like, more of a handle on it. Yeah, maybe they maybe they up Voldemort a little bit in the movie. Um, but in the book it's like Dumbledore's like using the fountain and stuff. Yeah. Um but they're definitely like Voldemort definitely like holds his own. No, for sure. Um and then just specifically, I really like the addition of the glass like turning into sand mm -hmm. and then the sand being on the ground because I think that really shows like when Harry is kind of like writhing around on the ground I think it adds something to that scene because you can like I don't know see where he's moved previously I, like mm -hmm. I and then when the sand is like suspended in midair like around Voldemort and Harry I think that looks so cool I love that um so yeah, I just, I'm a big fan of this scene. I think it was the correct length too. I think that they did a really good job of like not making it too long because mm -hmm. I think it's easy for them to kind of play up to the action and just make that like a 10 minute duel because it can look cool. Yeah. I think they did a really good job of kind of like restraining that and making it a length that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have a few thoughts on this duel that I guess I'll just add yeah. now. Um, but... I agree. I think it is really well done for, like, the standard that we're used to. Yeah. Um, I agree on the length thing because it's not that long in the book either. No. I guess that my... The thing that I've always loved about this duel is that a major gripe I have with the movies... Pretty much, like, I feel like from, like, four on, like, once Harry starts doing, like, more advanced magic the and like actually battling people the um like go-to thing that they do is just have any spell cast throw the person that's hit back 20 mm. feet like that's just that's just what happens regardless it can be stupefied it can be petrificus to totalis it can be expelliarmus and the person goes flying backwards like that's all that you really see um as far as like I don't know, as far as, like, in battle shots, I feel like that's what they just, like, decided to go for with magic, which I think is really uninteresting. And so you see that happen in the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, where they did, like, such an injustice to that battle, which I'll talk about more later. But you see kind of just that, like, lazy magic where you're just, like, throwing things around and, like, crashing things. But in this duel... You have, like, two, like, obviously, like, the two, like, most powerful wizards, like, real adults doing magic, and, like, they're not just, like, throwing each other around, like, they actually have them do, like, some cool spells. I think the water, um, that Voldemort gets, like, the ball that Voldemort gets stuck in is really cool, um, and it's just, like, more interesting to watch, and I wish they had just, like, especially come like battle of hogwarts they just like taken the time to slow down dial back on the craziness of it because you're not going to capture the chaos correctly regardless and just like have some actually cool duels going on instead of 
Harry and Voldemort jumping off of the side of the building and like that kind of stuff that just gets like carried on through the rest of the movies I feel like this is the last time we see like cool magic in the movies yeah I mean this is definitely my favorite duel that we see in the movies yeah I agree so I will talk more on this duel but more specifically the battle of the department of mysteries later yeah get ready for that one (laughs) so jumping into the movie now are you ready yes okay so your note is pre my note i know my note is just that the warner brothers logo is so freaking dark like i know that it progressively gets darker throughout the series like I've seen that I've seen those screenshots I've seen that meme but every time I think every time I watch this movie it's when I'm like struck by it because like this is this is war like this movie is the beginning of the end and I think that I I don't I can't remember off the top of my head what the logo in four looks like in comparison to the logo in five but I feel like it might be the biggest jump even if it's not, it's, like, the biggest jump in my head. And so I think that just, like, opening up to that dark logo is just, it really sets the tone. Yeah. So the actual movie starts with Harry on this, like, creepy playground. Um, <laughs> watching, like, let's just set the scene right here. So there's, like, this cute family with a mother, like, playing on the merry-go-round. And then Harry's just, like, watching them, like, staring at them, like, this 15-year-old boy by himself sitting on the swings. Like, I don't know if I love that. I guess Harry is, like, 15, so he's supposed, like, Daniel Radcliffe is not 15 at this point, so he looks much older than 15. So what makes it creepy, in my opinion, like, him just watching this family um, yeah. like a lone man at a playground, like danger, danger, danger. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that comes more down to like Daniel Radcliffe looking older than 15. Like he looks about 20 in my opinion. I don't know actually how old he was at filming. He is that old, but I got you. Okay. I was going to Google it. Um, but yeah, so it opens with the playground and, I guess, like, it kind of lingers on the mother with with her children, and so it's supposed to kind of, like, Harry's wistfully thinking about his parents and specifically, like, his mother being dead and him, like, I I think that's supposed to be, like, the motivation behind that part of the scene, at least. Um, I don't think the audience really needs, like, a reminder that Harry's parents are dead, though, so it seems kind of, like, unnecessary, in my opinion. And, like, his parents being dead aren't, like, isn't a super huge theme throughout this book. Like, it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's no longer, not, not to say it's not important, but it's not like we specifically talk about their deaths that much and, like, the their impact, like, the death, their deaths. I don't know, how, what am I trying to say? The impact of their deaths on Harry, like, is not a big theme in this movie. Yeah. So he's he's like seventeen or eighteen when they're filming. Oh, okay. Probably closer to seventeen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the book is actually supposed to open with um, Harry listening to the news. Um, we hear about how he's not getting anything from not getting any anything substantial from Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid and Sirius. Um, or not Hagrid at all because he's off with giants. 
um, how he is, like, looking at the Daily Prophet, but just casting aside, he's, like, waiting for everyone to talk about how Voldemort is back. And so that's why he's, like, moody. There's a drought, and I like how they keep that in the movie, like, just the, just the overhead shot of, like, none of the, all of the grass is dead. Like, I think that's just a nice thing to keep. Um, There's a hint to it being super hot, too, with, like, Petunia with the electric fan. Yeah. And, like, and she's Vernon wearing, like, eating ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dudley's outfit was, is really funny. <laughs> yeah. So then Dudley and his gang show up, um, to the playground. And I have a note here, like, in this book specifically, there are, like, multiple, multiple instances where people make fun of Harry for his, like, parents being dead. Yeah. yeah. And, like, mocking him for that. And I think that had just become, like, such a normal part of, like, the Harry Potter series. Like, that happens all the time. But seeing it in this movie, I was like, who does that? Like, is that, like, I cannot even imagine, like, your worst, like, I might be wrong. Like, this might have happened to people in real life. Like, and I'm so sorry if that happened to you. But I can't even imagine, like, high school bullies, like, taunting you for your mother being dead. Like, that just seems, like too far like over the line it's also it's like not like I forget what it is that Dudley says in the movie but he's just like your mother's dead isn't she like it's it's not like creative and like if I if I if they were that were me I'd just be like yeah she fucking is like fuck you like what like like what is that I don't know it doesn't really land well also like Harry could have been like yeah, she's your aunt, you bitch. Like, your aunt's dead. Like, <laughs> um, I don't. But we have skipped over the other thing oh. that Dudley says. You said drink your boyfriend. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Also, sorry, I like, so I, I just watched a video recently about, like, I guess you have to pay actors no matter if, like, they... Okay, so in this scene, they reuse footage of Robert Pattinson dying from Goblet of Fire. So even though Robert Pattinson, like, didn't act for this movie at all, like, he has to get paid for that appearance in the movie, even though, like, the company already, like, paid him for that scene because Mm. his, like, face is used. It's kind of like royalties. Yeah, I just, like, I I hadn't never thought about that, just wanted to point that out super quickly because I thought it was kind of a fun fact but yeah so then Cedric's death is brought up in the like in the beginning and it's only brought up one more time whereas in the book it's kind of like a big deal like I feel Mm -hmm. like it's brought up constantly in the book but we hear it now we hear later like Cho talking about it and And then does Seamus bring it up in the in the commoner? Well, so I guess I guess it's kind of brought up in the first Defense Against the Dark Arts Classroom 2 series. Like, what, did, like, Cedric, like, die yeah. of his own accord or something? But that's kind of, that's not in, like, the way that it's brought up in the book. Like, it's brought up in the book as this, like, I don't know, like, super traumatic thing that happened to Harry. Like, he's not screaming about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just not as big of a deal in the movie as it is in the book. I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then... The Dementors show up, um, and one of them, like, grabs Harry and, like, pins him to the wall, like, by his, like, 
holds him by the neck. And, like, I don't think that Dementors can do that. I don't think that they ever do that in the books. Like, I don't think they ever, like, touch you in the books. I have no idea. I just feel like the Dementors in this... Maybe this is something I should have included in special effects. But I feel like they went too far with the Dementors in this movie. Mm. Like, they're less, like... I think they actually did, like, a pretty good job in 3. And in this, they're, like, less flowy. And I think maybe it's because you get more of, like, a close-up and there are only two of them. It's not, like, a ton coming down from above. Mm -hmm. But, like, the... And the, like hood is more like around their face like their heads are more like circular because like it, the thing is like tighter around their face um and I just really the detail of the Dementor like sh pushing Harry up against the wall was really weird to me and I didn't like it yeah I mean I'd say overall I enjoy this scene I think that it's really creepy and I think that's a good thing for this scene to be. I do kind of like the location change of it being, like, in an underground tunnel. Mm, I think yeah. that adds to the creepiness of it quite a bit. Um, and I think it's, like, it's pretty close to what happens in the books. Like, that was a pretty, like, I don't know, like, chop for shot recreation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, kind of what you were alluding to in that is, like, it takes away a lot of, like, the mystery and the creepiness of the Dementors by, like, having them so look so, like, solid and realistic. Yeah. Whereas I think, like, part of the, part of why they are so creepy in the books is that, like, you don't know what's under the hood. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know if they're, like, substantive or not. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then Miss Fig shows up. And I, multiple times throughout this movie, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who hasn't read the books. And this is one of those instances where, like, it is just so weird. Like, this woman shows up and Harry's like, Miss Fig. So, like, Harry obviously knows who this woman is. We've never heard Miss, never heard Miss Fig's name before. We've never seen her before. We've never had any, like, allusions to who lives on Harry Street and if he knows them or not. Mm. and then it's just like she's not a real muggle she knows about the wizarding world and then she just disappears and never comes back again like it just well she's in the ministry scene. well like in this in this movie like we never see her post this movie you know what i mean oh yeah, yeah. um and it just seems like the audience would have zero context as to who this is and would just be kind of so weird. And I think this happens so many times within the movie specifically because so many, like, there are so many characters in the Harry Potter universe and so many are added each book. And the movie can only add a certain number of new characters, mm. like, with the time. And they can never really flesh them out the way that we want them to be fleshed out. And this yeah. is one of those instances where, like, they couldn't really get around somebody else showing up, honestly. Like, they needed her to come back for the trial. Yeah. Um, and it really shows that they were kind of, like, forced to add her with zero context and no information. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really bother me because, like... She's not really necessary in the other movies, so, like, it makes sense that she hasn't been in it yet. And, like, they have to have somebody show up to be the witness at the trial, so, like, I'm glad that they didn't just, like, invent a character. Like, I'm glad her name is still Miss Fig, and, like, she has her cat food. Like, <laughs> um, 
of course, they, like, did the bare minimum with the scene with them cutting out Dong. So, like, basically the only, like, the only other character is Mrs. Fig, and so, like, she needs to be there, and I don't really care that she, like, doesn't come back. Like, this is the most important thing she does all series. So. Yeah, I think it's more just, like, that she shows up with no context is just what I think would be super weird for somebody who's never read the books. And I think it makes it weirder that, like, Harry instantly knows who she is, but, like, us as the audience, we do not if you've never read the books, you know? Yeah. I just think that I get the, like, trying to put yourself in someone who's never read the book's mindset, but, like, these movies aren't made for that. I mean, they need to be, though. That's, like, a flaw in the movie if you can't watch the movie and just understand it without any backs. Like, that is a, that's a fail. Like, they don't create movies only for people who've read the books. Like, they need to reach a wider audience and make it make sense. But, like, it's, this, this thing is not the, like, most confusing thing that happens for... No, I mean, there are many other things that I'm going to bring up. This was just kind of the first instance that I was like, oh, this is just, I feel like it'd be weird. Because, like, Harry knowing who she is, I feel like, would tip off the viewer that, like, we are also supposed to know who she is, but we do not. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, like, she's just someone that, like, lives nearby. I feel like that, like... Is enough. Yeah. Um, so then they, like, get back to number four. And pretty much immediately the ministry letter shows up. I mean, nothing really happens before that. The Dursleys are like, what did you do to him? Um, and then the ministry letter shows up and, like, talks. Which I guess is kind of in replacement of the Howler. Because they don't have the Howler coming. So then they, like, complete these two things. But I also think it says, doesn't the ministry letter say that that he has a hearing? It doesn't say that he's expelled? I feel like it has to say there is a hearing because there's never any mention of the hearing. It just jumps to the hearing, yeah. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. I didn't think about that until it jumped straight to the hearing, like, later. And I was like, oh, wait, was, like, did that letter mention the hearing or did it say that he was expelled? Um, But, yeah, I mean, I have a note about it speaking to, and, like, I guess it kind of makes sense, like, they needed to get across what the letter said to the audience. Yeah. And so you don't want Harry to have to, like, read it out loud. Like, that would be super weird. And then you didn't want to have, want to make the viewers, like, read it on the paper by showing the paper. Um, it's just weird because it's not really a howler. And then there's other letters that don't show up. So, like, the letter from so Arthur or Sirius that's, like, don't move, don't leave. Mmm... Stay put. I feel like it's serious, and then I think Arthur it might sends be. one later. Because then, so there's like the letter that tells him to stay put. Then there's the letter that he's no longer expelled, and that it's a hearing. And then there's the Dumbledore letter to Petunia that says like, "Remember my last," which we talked a whole lot about in our Petunia episode. So if you want to hear us talk about that, go back and have a listen to that episode. They, um, there's one from Mr. Weasley and there's one from Sirius. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Weasley, Mr. Weasley sends one first and then Sirius sends one that says, like, Arthur just told us what happened. Don't leave. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And then it, like, then 
Petunia and Vernon just leave, like, that night, immediately. Yeah. There's no exp- like- They don't try to kick him out. Yeah, like, there's no mention of a Dementor in this at all. Like, they're just like, who did this to you? And Neville, or Neville, Dudley points to Harry, and then there's just, like, mm-hmm. no further discussion about it. And they just leave, like, presumably to take Dudley to, like, the doctors, or the hospital, yeah. I assume. Um, and then the order shows up that night, too. So, like, we are moving, like, a mile a minute at this point in <laughs> the movie. Not that, like, it doesn't feel like it's happening very quickly, but when you think about the time frame in the book, like, wow. I I think it's supposed to be, like, five days. Yeah. I mean, Harry's, like, grounded for a Mm -hmm. while, and then they, like, then Vernon and Petunia leave because, like, they're told that they're nominated for, like, Britain's Best Lawn or whatever, Suburban Lawn Competition. All England Best Suburban Lawn Competition. And that's when the order shows up. And then the yeah. order shows up again, kind of to illustrate how fast they're moving. Like, the order shows up, and then Harry immediately leaves. Like, that's, again, yeah. kind of not what happens in the book. Like, Harry's introduced to Kingsley. He's introduced to Tonks at this point. Tonks they don't introduce anyone No, nothing. And one thing that really bothered me is that Lupin isn't there. Yeah. So at this point, the only character that you recognize when the order shows up is Moody, who, if you remember from the last movie, like, you know that Moody is not Moody. Harry's never really met Moody before. The Moody that we know is not yeah. Moody. So, I don't... And, like, Lupin is in this movie. So, like, why wouldn't you have him in this scene just to, like, establish... Because he's supposed to be in that scene, but also just to establish for, like, the viewer, like, okay, these are people we know and we trust. And, like, this is someone that Harry can, like, run up and hug and it wouldn't be weird or something like that, you know? It just seems really weird not to have Lupin in it. Yeah, and again, kind of with the vein of, like, Harry's never really met the real Moody at this point. So he, like, even in the book, he's kind of naturally, like, not that he's suspicious, but he's like, this is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, having Lupin there would be somebody that Harry knows and trusts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's weird. And they just, like, immediately leave the only mention of, I don't even think Kingsley's mentioned by name in this scene, I think, like, Moody says something like, Nymphador, and she's like, don't call me Nymphador. I don't mm-hmm. even think Tonks is said in mm-hmm. this movie at all, honestly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then they're flying on the broomsticks, and they're doing the- nothing to hide from the muggles. They, like, Literally nothing. next to the boats, like... Just, like, they don't give a fuck if they're seen, honestly, at this point. Like, okay. Okay. Um, oh, side note. Sorry, I just, lo- I hadn't been looking at my notes for a while. But there, like, when when the order comes into Harry's room, you can see, like, his walls. And he has, like, posters from the Quidditch World Cup on his wall. And those mm-hmm. are, like, the two posters that he has are some of my favorite merch items. And I've thought about buying them so many times. Um... But did we see them at Warner Studio Run? Tour? Yeah, I like I literally okay. almost bought it when we were at the Studio I Tour. That. But yeah. I think it like it came with a frame, so it was like really quite expensive. I think if you buy just the poster, it's like really not that bad um, in terms of like Harry Potter licensed merch ghosts, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. But they're just like I think I think some of like the coolest peach of pieces of merch that you can find. Um, but yeah. Also, so back to like where we were. That's not at all how the Fidelius charm works. Like, when Moody's just, like, focus, he, he says, like, focus or something. Yeah. And he just, he, like, bangs his staff and the, you can see number 12. Yeah. 
it's like I don't even know if it's ever talked about that there is a Fidelius charm on no. Grimold Place. I guess like an uneducated viewer might just think like, oh, it's just like hidden and you just have to do that to find it. Mm-hmm. When that's not the case. So they arrive to Grimold Place. Um, I have a note here that they don't even try. They don't even try to make Harry's hair messy. Like you can see that there's like styling gel in it to make it mm-hmm. like combed. It's yeah. literally the opposite. It's yeah. literally the opposite of the look we're going for, but okay, fine. It would be better if you just didn't do anything to it. <laughs> like why why? Um and then they walk in and Harry just then they just like leave Harry in the hallway and they're like, peace out, I'ma go to the kitchen. I will say a nice thing they keep is like Tonks still does trip over the troll foot umbrella holder, which is great. Um, I don't really care that they cut out Sirius's mother because that would have been kind of annoying to like commit to in the movie. But I like that they kept that. But yeah. it is weird that they all just kind of walk by him. There's no explanation of where they are. Mrs. Weasley, like Harry can see Lupin and Sirius through the door and neither of them is like, oh, like I want to say hi, which like... Yeah. In the book, like, he doesn't know they're there. He doesn't see them. Wait. He doesn't, like, say hi to them, but he also doesn't know they're there, so it's not weird. Like, their their welcome is delayed until they actually, like, see each other. But this is weird because they, like, see each other. And Sirius is, like, not at all excited to see Harry. Mrs. Weasley just closes the door. Yeah. And I get, like, that not anything is really explained to him in the book either, but, like, there are mentions of, like, a headquarters, and I feel like they're, like, stay here, like, Molly will, like, show you to your room. Like, they literally just, like, don't acknowledge that Harry is walking into this building for the first time in his life. They're just, like, they just keep walking, and Harry's, like, where the fuck am I? Like, what? (laughs) Um, And Molly's just, like, go upstairs, which I guess is kind of what happens in the book, but still, it just seems like... When you think about how much Harry knows at this point, it's literally zero. Literally yeah. just zero. Yeah. And then in the next scene, where he, like, sees Ron and Hermione. Well, he um, sees Creature first. He sees Creature. So, Cre- yes. I just super quickly, Creature is in this movie, however brief it is. And I've heard that, like, the author made the production, like, the movie production put Creature in the movie because she was like creature is going to be a big character because like I guess seven hadn't come out at the point that they were like writing this or filming this movie she was like creature is going to be important later Mm -hmm. so they include him and then they don't do anything with him later anyways so yeah there's that just wanted to mention that yeah so then Harry goes into the room with Ron Hermione Hermione, like, jumps out at him, and I think it's supposed to, like, catch you off guard or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, ominous. Like, there's this music that's, like, what's gonna happen? It just seems so unnecessary. Yeah. Like, we we know that Moody took him there and that Molly's here. Like, we know that this is a safe place at this point. I do like, though, that Hermione, like, jumps on him because I think in the book it's described as, like, he opened the door and, like, he was suddenly, like, mauled by, like, Yeah, I think there's, like, a whirl of hair or something. Um... But then, like, this scene with Ron and Hermione, he's, like, saying a lot of the things that he says in the book, but there's, like, no emotion behind it. Like, he gets, like, a little bit, he sounds, like, a little bit pissed off. But in the book, he's, like, yelling, he's very upset, and 
you could argue that in the movie he knows even less, so he should be, like, even more angry. And I don't know if this is, like, on Daniel Radcliffe. Like, he doesn't know how to be, like, angry, like, act angry. Or I don't know if that was, like, direction that he received. But it's just, like, it just does not capture the energy. And then, like, the twins come down and they're like, oh, Harry, like, thought we heard you, like, screaming, your dulcet tones or whatever. And it's like, well, he was literally just speaking, like... Yeah, I think another kind of disconnect that happens in this scene is that there's no, like, setup for Harry being upset about this. Like, we don't see anything previous to this that he's resentful that, like, he knows that Ron and Hermione are together without him. Like, he knows that they, like, know more than he does. They're specifically not telling him things. Like, he hasn't heard from anybody. Like, that's not a plot point at this point. Yeah, And so, like, his outburst... Even though it is less, like, intense than it is in the book, it seems, like, more hot-headed, almost, because it Mm. kind of comes out of nowhere. And I think that this is a theme throughout the movie. Like, Harry's emotions are so whack and all over the place, and it comes off as, like, him literally, like, seeming unstable. Not that he's, like, stable for most of his book anyways, but, like, in the book, we have, like, his internal thoughts. And so, like, when something like this happens, it makes at least somewhat sense to the reader, to the viewer. You know, like, we've... We know how resentful Harry is that they know these things. And so him screaming at least makes sense. Whereas in this movie, we don't have that background information a lot of the time. And he's just screaming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this scene is like also cut really short by Fred and George jumping in. Like, again, that happens in the book. But I feel like they have more of a discussion before they show up in the book yeah. than in the movie. Um, I will say, as far as Fred and George... Um, cause I thought of this one, like they showed up for the first time. This is definitely, I think the best movie for them. Yeah. Um, Ginny gets done dirty with this movie because her Fred and her and Fred and George are in this book so way much. more than they've been in any book previously. Ginny again is in six a lot or like Harry's thinking about her a lot in six, but <laughs> like, this is definitely like. This is the book that you, like, actually get to know Ginny. And they do... I'm not going to say they do Fred and George justice because, like, you can never do them justice fully. Um, but, like, Fred and George do get a lot of screen time in this movie. And Ginny gets, like, done pretty dirty by it. Also, her out, like, her outfits her in this outfits movie are so bad. so <laughs> terrible. Not that, like, any of the outfits in this movie are really that great. Like, I think I have a note later on that, like whoever is the costume designer like ha- loves stripes like mm-hmm. literally there's a character mm-hmm. in stripes in every scene mm-hmm. at least one character um yeah I do like Fred and George in this movie I think it is a great movie for them even though they're in it more like I don't know if they really have that many more lines than other movies I feel like a lot of times they're just kind of like there yeah. Um, which, again, I can't be, like, a beggar can't be a chooser. Is that what the thing is? Mm-hmm. Um, so then, like, the extendable ear goes down. At this point, again, kind of, like, putting myself in the shoes of a person who hasn't read the book, we know nothing about Fred and George's joke shop ambitions at this point. <laughs> Literally zero. And so, like, what the fuck is this? Like, we... You don't know that Fred and George invented this at this point 
if you've mm. never read the books. It is just like a piece of thing, like a, a thing in the wizarding world, you know. Um, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but it just seemed, I don't know, it's weird to me. Again, uh, so the ear goes down, and you have this like scene of it against the wall, and you can see like that it has hair. Like it, it, it's too realistic. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> it's freaky. That's funny. Um. Also, they're not supposed to actually hear anything through the ear because yep. Molly has put an impervious charm on the door. But I guess they needed you to hear something because there's been no explanation. So. Yeah, I think this is the information that Harry hears that they have heard before using the extendable ears, but they don't have that dialogue, and so they put it so that Harry actually hears it using the extendable ears. So they go down for dinner, and Fred and George apparate, and, like, Molly screams at them, and then when Ron walks by, he's, like, he, like, looks terrified of his mother, and I love it. I think it's so hilarious. He's, like, literally, like, push up against the door, like, shuffling sideways, so he will, like, stay far, as far away from her as possible after she yelled at Fred and George. Okay, so, um, then they talk about, like, it's the dinner scene, they show Harry the Daily Prophet, and it, like, full-on says on the front page that he's telling lies, which is not really how it's supposed to be, but I guess that's easier for the viewer to, like, see. Um, and they have that, like, conversation, basically, about, like, the quote-unquote weapon that Voldemort is trying to find. Yeah, just super quickly before we get into that, we do get see a scene of, like, Tonks using her, like, metamorph mm-hmm. magus powers, which, again, is... Never explained, never brought up again. She just can do stuff with her nose, apparently. So, anyways, the conversation with Sirius is, like, pretty close to how it is in the book, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, he gets the same amount of information that he does. Mm -hmm. There are, like, some word-for-word things in there, even. Yeah. Um, There's less, like, tension of about around, like, telling them this. And Ginny isn't made to leave or anything, but it, it does what it needs to do. Yeah, I have a note here that, like, the Molly and Sirius fight is, like, nothing compared to how it is in the books. But again, that's yeah. not something that they, like, revisit in the movie, so it's not, like, the biggest deal, because that's kind of, like, a recurring thing in the book. Mm-hmm. So then we're kind of made to believe that, like, the next day is the hearing. They skip all of the, like, cleaning of the house, which... It's not super plot important, but, like... So cool. I don't know. It has a lot of, like, hidden gems in it. Yeah. And another thing they cut completely out of this movie is, like, Sirius feeling cooped up. Like, not mm-hmm. being able to leave. Like, that is yeah. not mentioned or is not a plot point at all, which I feel like cheapens his, like, the events later in the yeah. movie. Um, mm-hmm. Without that, like, setup on the back end. So. Yeah, I agree. So, I have a note that's about Arthur being adorable. I think that's when they were, like, going through the turnstiles yeah. to get to the underground. It was really cute. Um, and then Kingsley is, like, the one that tells them in the lift that the meeting has been changed or the hearing has been changed. It's supposed to be Arthur's co-worker, so we get, like, a little bit more build-up in the ministry during the book. But, I mean, I guess it's fine. 
Yeah, I do really like the look of the Ministry. I think it is really yes, cool. It's probably like one of my favorite sets, honestly. I will say one thing I kind of thought about is that scene where they're like walking through the atrium. There are so many people there. <laughs> and I think that creates like it just is like I don't think we're made to believe that the wizarding community is really that large yeah in the books at least like I think they make it larger than it is in the movie but there are literally so many people it's like like kind of ridiculous yeah but so they go down to the hearing they they, there's the scene of Fudge and Lucius like in hushed tones yeah um and during the hearing when Dumbledore shows up the delivery of like Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore is so great like the way he like slows down before Brian um I I just love that and then how it like comes back I like that they like kept his full name in there because that's like just a fun fan thing and then when you see the although maybe no maybe that's just in the book his initials his initials I think it's just in the the book yeah oh well yeah, so Dumbledore shows up and he starts to like fight on Harry's behalf. And I really did want to like pick apart Dumbledore in this scene. Like, mm. he was too aggressive, but I really don't think he was. Like, he's definitely a little bit more aggressive than I think he is in the books. Like, and he's maybe less coy. Like, in the mm-hmm. book, he's very like. I, like subtle is not really the right word but like he's not as like upfront about some things like he's more coy I think a lot of the dialogue is word for word yeah but I think it's the delivery yeah whereas like in the book he's kind of like he like smiles a little and he like sits down in the armchair that he's drawn up like and but in the in the movie he's like he's not aggressive so much but he's like more like proving a point like business business-like maybe yeah very much so then something in general like I just I know that this can kind of be like easily explained away but like I just don't understand what people think Harry's motive is for casting a Patronus charm if there's no Dementors like if I were to cast a like spell when I wasn't supposed to it would be like Accio or Lumos or like yeah, yeah like I just wanted to cast my pretty Patronus like I, I just mm-hmm. don't understand. And, like, I get it. Like, Fudge would believe anything at this point. Like, it's basically an excuse to, like, take down Harry. Like, I get it. But it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. There's no and purpose so, to cast it, like, Patronus if there's no Dementors. Like, unless yeah. you can send a message using it. And we're not, like, we are not to believe that Harry knows how to do that yet. Or if that's even a thing at this point. Yeah. I think that, like... It's supposed to add to the image of, like, Harry just being, like, an arrogant piece of shit. Yeah. But, yeah, I've always thought that was a little weird. Um, Amelia Bones is supposed to be, like, impressed with his Patronus. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that scene, which then, like, contributes to later when they have the first, like, DA meeting in the Hogshead. Susan Bones is supposed to be the one that's, like, is it true to cast a Patronus? Um, but that's, like, a small detail, I guess. Um... And Percy is cut out of this scene, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because when I was watching this scene, I was like, is Percy even in this movie? And then 
because I knew that they didn't have like the letter from him and they ha they don't talk at all about his fight with the Weasleys. They just have only two times you see him is like he's in the ministry article about the Dolores Umbridge being the High Inquisitor. He's like in the corner of the shot there and then he is there when they are try to arrest Dumbledore and there's no explanation for the fact that like this is someone who up until now we know to have been on the good side he's from like a family that they're all fighting on the good side but suddenly he's bad like yeah I wonder if like again putting my shoes putting myself in the shoes of somebody who hasn't read the books and like honestly even if you've read the books I don't even know if the casual viewer would like pick up on that 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 being Percy. Percy like they it might just appear to be a random ministry official you know I would say I would agree with that if it wasn't for the red hair I guess I think, like anyone with red hair in these movies you're like is that a Weasley, That's a Weasley. <laughs> like people like everyone knows that I know? guess yeah I could see that um I just have a note here like what a flawed justice system where like the person who runs the government is also like the head of the judicial system like <laughs> okay yeah well so this is it's weird to me because this is supposed to be the wizengamot right yeah like he was tried in front of the full wizengamot and harry i mean dumbledore up until like this summer had been the chief warlock of the wizengamot so like did fudge take that over i think it's not normal for the minister to be the chief i think that it is mentioned that like i don't know if it's normal for fudge to be like the questioner because like we are not to like from this scene it is not implied at all that fudge has more power than anybody else like everybody's vote is counted equally at the end Mm -hmm. so the only like real more power he has in this sense is that he's the one like leading the trial and so i don't know if like in the books it might be mentioned that like he is the one to lead the trial so that might imply that like he's not always that person yeah but in the books too like amelia bones seems to have some more of a role yeah like i don't even she's not just a normal voting member like she has some duty yeah and we see that like anybody is allowed to like pipe in and speak during this time so i think really the only indication is that like he's sitting separately from everybody else and i don't know if that's like canon to the book like i don't know if it's specifically Mm -hmm. mentioned that like fudge is sitting at like the pulpit by himself i think he he might be i think he's sitting with like Amelia Bones on one side and Umbridge on the other and like Percy is at the end of that like okay yeah so I don't know um the trial plays out pretty similarly to in the book um like Miss Big shows up they question if like she can even see Dementors and Harry is voted to not be expelled from Hogwarts yeah so then the next thing I have, because they skip over all of the other time at Grandma Place, they skip over Her- uh, Ron and Hermione becoming prefix, all of that. The next thing I have is just commenting on Padfoot, the dog, being cute. <laughs> yeah, I have they cut straight to platform, no mention of prefects, or again, like, no mention of cleaning the house. Yeah. Um, and Sirius comes so, to the platform, oh, sorry, Sirius comes to the platform again, like, a nod to them not even talking about Sirius not being able to leave Grimmauld Place. Like, we see him out yeah. and about, and he gives 
Harry the Order picture when in the book Moody is the one to give that to Harry and it kind of like it upsets Harry yeah and like it doesn't seem to really upset him in the movie like it changes the tone of yeah. him receiving the photograph so yeah a um, couple things on that I've always hated the like transition scene of Sirius oh. like coming like in the silhouette doing up his robe like I think it's really dumb also like especially if we're to like know from the book that Sirius is not supposed to be out like he should not be changing back into a person yeah like you should have just done this at the house yeah um and I do think it's funny that like Sirius is like oh it's been 14 years and the day goes by that I don't think of your father and then they like zoom in on the photo and you see like Sirius and James and Lily and Sirius looks exactly the same <laughs> Like, except for maybe some tattoos, like... Well, can we also say that we see, like, a younger version of Sirius in the memory that is, what, like, three years before the Order <laughs> photo when he's come, like, yeah, completely different? Yeah. So, the aging of Sirius Black is, like, really a mystery to us all. Yeah. Um, um. And then there's... there's if somebody can explain this to me, I would, like, really appreciate it. What is the point of the, like, Voldemort being at the platform Thank scene? you! And he's wearing Malfoy's suit. Yeah, I don't... I I've don't really get it. I've never understood this. And then it, like, comes back in Harry's memories yeah. when he has alchemy lessons. I'm so confused by it. I think it's, like... I just, I don't even, I don't get it at all. I don't know if it's supposed to be just like a, hey, Voldemort, remember him? Like, he's Hey, like, a it's thing. been too long since yeah. we talked about this. Um, and then or just. like, we put Ralph Fiennes in this makeup, like, we yeah, better we, get a few scenes use, out of him. Yeah, he's in the cast. If he has, he has, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he has to have a certain amount of screen time proportional to the amount of time he spends in the makeup chair. Um... <laughs> And just, like, another kind of more broad note on Harry's dreams throughout this movie, he has, like, really weird dreams in the movie. Like, in the book, his dream is supposed to be, like, the same every night. Like, there's a comment that, like, he's getting bored of walking down the same hallway every he, night. He, like, wants to get through Yeah, it. he wants, yeah. like, or at least a different dream to happen, you know? And the dreams are just kind of, like, all over the place in the movie from what we see. It's, like, they're, they're flashes. yeah. And, I don't know, again, if anybody can explain, like, a more, like, why why that scene was included, I would just, like, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I've never understood it. Um, so then the train ride is, like, pretty much skipped entirely. Like, we don't meet Luna on the train, Ron and Hermione, I don't do the prefect thing, like, none of that happens. Cho doesn't come and see Harry covered in, like, pus. Stinks up. <laughs> Stinks up, yeah. yeah. And then they get off the train and they're not wearing their school robes. Yeah. And there's more bad outfits. And then, like, <laughs> Harry is supposed to realize that Hagrid is missing at this point. Because, like, he's not mm. at the platform. It's not brought up. And then we get the Thestral appearance. Which, honestly, I think the Thestrals look pretty good. I think they look really cool in the movie. Yeah, I didn't even think of that as, like, something to talk about with special effects. Because I think they look great. Like... Yeah. I love Thestrals. I think they look really cool. Um, it does bother me that, like... Neville is there in that scene, but he, I guess it's not unbelievable that he wouldn't say, like, I can see them too, Harry, mm. but he looks confused. Mm. And, like, he's supposed to have been able to see Thestrals probably, like, his whole time. Yeah, I don't... I don't know when his his I don't know if we died, know when. But, like, I don't think this is the first year he can see them, 
and Harry's like talking about it and literally I was like watching Neville in the scene because I was like why is he I didn't in the think scene? about it and he's like he's like making a confused face and I was like what like that makes no sense yeah I didn't even think about it honestly I don't even know if I remembered slash knew that Neville was in this scene at all yeah. <laughs> in the movie um but yeah so this is where we like really formally meet Luna Yes. She's, again, introduced to us for the first time, like in the book, as Looney, but it's by Hermione instead of Ginny. And it's in front of Luna. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know, it bothers me. Yeah, Hermione also, like, catches herself while she yeah. does it, so it's implied that, like, she knows that it's rude. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's not, like, like... Yeah. It's not like, oh, like, just everybody calls her like that. Like, that's her nickname, you know? She knows that yeah. people call her that. It's implied that, like, it was, like, Hermione knew it was a bad thing, you know? It also really bothers me how they cut Ginny out of this. Like, if you're not going to have her speak, just have her be in this scene. Yeah. Because this is, like, the start of the Silver the Trio. Silver Trio. <laughs> and, like, the six of them all being together. Like, they're all together in the carriage on the way to Hogwarts. And then they all go to the Ministry in the end. So, like... It doesn't make sense to not have her... Like, Neville's in this scene and doesn't say anything. So, like, literally just have her be standing there. Yeah. If you want to have Hermione have that line, fine. Yeah. But, like, why is she not there? Yeah. I don't know. So then we make it to the Great Hall. Yes. And the table orders seem to have changed again. Gryffindor is now in a middle table. How interesting. Yeah. I knew that was something we were kind of tracking, so... Yeah. It's always different. Yeah. <laughs> and we miss, the big thing we miss here is the Sorting Hat song. Yeah. That does create, like, a discussion with the students, because they, like, the Sorting Hat basically is, like, we need to come together. Yeah. Like, what's the line in it? Like, or we'll crumble from within. Like, I have told you. I have warned you. Let yeah. the sorting now begin. <laughs> just dusting that off no big deal <laughs> um so yeah it just jumps right into like Dumbledore starting his speech and then being interrupted by Umbridge this is where we get that mention of Hagrid not being there yeah and this okay I will say if you watch this on television because you know like television has the deleted scenes integrated into the movie right it goes longer with Trelawney like eating while Umbridge is speaking <laughs> and it is so hilarious like we get a little nod to this like she's eating but like it yeah. keeps on cutting back to her in the deleted <laughs> scene and it's just and she like spills I think at one point and it like looks like panicked like what do I do it just is really funny I recommend trying to find that scene if you haven't seen it before yeah yeah I, th I remember it from like watching on tv it's funny um so then we kind of have, like, there's the fight with Seamus, kind of. Yeah. Um, it happens in the common room, like, in front of everyone instead of being upstairs in the dorm. Um, yeah, and when Harry walks in, everybody's, like, staring at him. And they even show one of the twins staring at him. Yes. And it's, okay, like, really weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, we know that the twins don't think he's crazy. Yeah. So why is one of them staring at him like everybody else? Like, he's crazy. But anyways. So then we basically jump right to the first class with Umbridge. Um, we, like, don't really see any classes this no. movie. No. Well, besides when Umbridge is... Um, the montage. Inspecting. Yeah. 
I do have a quick note. So this is like Harry bites back at Ron again at this point. Like Seamus, or like after the fight with Seamus, they go up. Ron is like, Seamus is stupid. And he's like, he yells at Ron. And I'm just like, poor Ron. And so again, this is kind of like a nod to the bigger theme throughout the book. I don't think there is many instances in the movie where like we see Hermione and Ron kind of like taking the brunt of Harry's Mm. um, emotional trauma, basically. Um, And then we see the Department of Mysteries door in before the class too. He has his first dream at Hogwarts. And... We had just seen that door in the movie, so I don't know if, like, you'd be able to pick up on, again, without reading the book, Mm. that it's the same door, but maybe you could. And in general, this door looks very comical to me, like, how big the knob is and how it being, like, right in the middle. It kind of of reminds me of, like, the Alice in Wonderland door. I don't know why. I don't know if there's a door like that in Alice in Wonderland, (laughs) but just, like, the knob is, like, so big. Like, I don't think, I think it's bigger than my palm. It just looks ridiculous. But anyways, so yeah, we have the first class. And then Umbridge mentions OWLs. And she says, more commonly known as owls. And I don't think anybody ever refers to them as owls. I think they are always OWLs. supposed to call them owls. Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't know why that was included. Um, But it just is weird. Because they're never referred to as owls. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they have that, like, fight with Harry and Umbridge, basically, but in the book, it's more kind of, like, everybody jumps on questioning her, like, Dean is, like, talking about how Lupin was a great teacher, and they all really kind of gang up on her together, which I love, but in the movie, like, Ron and Hermione say a couple things, and then Harry just kind of goes off, but, like, that specific part with Harry going off, I think, is, like, very, um, close to the book. But they do skip. He gets sent um, to McGonagall. And they skip the Have a Biscuit Potter scene, Yeah. Like, so much great McGonagall content gets skipped. I know. <laughs> Just with the fight, like, Harry, you, I understand that, like, you're dealing with stuff. But, like, you literally, you don't have to pick a fight with everybody. Like, I don't. <laughs> it's... It's just so aggressive, and he gets, he just, like, lashes out when people don't believe him, and I get it as, like, super frustrating when somebody doesn't believe you, but I, I don't know, it just seems so ridiculous to get into, like, a shouting match with a teacher on the first Mm -hmm. day of class. I just, it just is so stupid to me. He's not particularly level-headed. That is true. (laughs) Um, and so then it, like, cuts straight to the detention, really. Yeah. So a couple things that get skipped in that, like, first week. No talk of, like, Quidditch. Harry's missing Quidditch tryouts. Ron's gonna be a keeper. Like, none of... Quidditch gets entirely cut out of this movie. Um, so you don't have to fight with Malfoy. You don't have Harry and the twins getting banned. Like, a lot of stuff... I feel like Quidditch provides, like, kind of a good time point throughout the school year. It's, like... Before the first game, like, after Harry gets his ban, and then, like, you have, you keep getting the reminders of it with the next two games, even though Harry's not playing in them. So, that's disappointing. And also, um, the other big, like, school thing that gets cut out is Spew and Dobby. Um, I just thought of those 
during this part, but yeah, I feel then like, we have Harry's detention. Yeah, I feel like Quidditch is, like, a pretty big part of this book in general. I mean, granted, they always cut out so much of the Quidditch stuff in yeah. every book. Um, but with this one, there's, like, Angelina becomes, like, more of, like, a real character. You yeah. know, like, she's in it quite a bit more. There's the whole, like, Weasley is our king thing that's cut mm-hmm. out. Um and then, like, Ron and his, like, performance anxiety <laughs> is, like, cut out and, like, his insecurities. And, I don't know, I feel like Quidditch being cut out has a huge consequence to this story, maybe more than it normally does in yeah. other years. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I have a note about that, too. And then, with the detention, I love that, like, Umbridge has a framed picture of Fudge on her desk yeah. I think it's so great. Such well, a great decision. That comes back later, too, because when she's about to Crucio Harry, she, like, like puts, it down. puts the photo down, which I think is hilarious. She's like, he would be ashamed of me if he saw this. And there's, like, yeah. even a scene in the book where she calls him Cornelius, and she's like, oh, sorry, Minister yeah. Fudge Minister. or whatever. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say about detention, though, is, like, He's supposed to have it for, like, two weeks straight. Like, he can't keep himself out of detention. And it's for, like, hours every night. Um, But instead, we just get, like, one scene. Yeah, and I just have a note, like... It seems so silly to me that wizards need ink in the first place. Like, I get it, you want to use quills for the aesthetic. But, like, can't they just have, like, everlasting quills or, like, non-refilling quills? Like, they literally have... quills that are just pens? They have spell check quills, like... Mm-hmm. What? Anyways. So then we get the first montage of the movie. Basically. It's like semi montage. What montage? With the skyving snack boxes. There's like a kind of like tracking like montage y shot. It's like um, not really a montage, but like it kind of comes across as a montage because there's like an overlay of music while it's happening. Okay. Um, sure. But we get the Skybean snack boxes scene. Yeah. Um, they skip the scene. So Harry sends like a letter to Sirius. He calls him Padfoot. Um, in the book, they always call him Snuffles, and I thought always thought it was weird that they didn't call him Padfoot. Yeah. But well, he calls him Pad. I guess. Never mind. That's a completely different circumstance. You mean to... To Snape, Snape. because Snape yeah. doesn't know the Snuffles. Yeah. Um, I guess it just um, kind of, like, condenses it. It's like, adding in another nickname, nickname might be yeah. confusing, so I don't have a I'm problem I'm fine with, with him yeah. writing Dear Padfoot. Like, I think it's weird that Sirius told them to call him Snuffles. Like, yeah. Um, and they skip the scene with Cho and the Owlery. So oh, we, my God. A lot of Harry and Cho's, like, dating romance kind of gets, if you want to call it romance, gets cut out. Um... And so that gets skipped. Yeah, I will say when I was listening to that scene, I was like, oh my god, why do people hate Cho? Like, this is such a great Cho scene. Like, she stands up for Harry, like, Mm -hmm. with kind of, like, no evidence to back up that Harry wasn't, like, sending the, like, suspicious... Yeah, ordering dumb bombs, like, Filch was accusing um, him of. And there's this, like, mention where Filch kind of, like stares her down and Cho like stares right back at him like I dare you to question me further on this like I was here I saw it like fuck off and 
I just, I really love that because I think that, you know, in our Cho episode, I think we talked a lot about kind of her getting unnecessarily, like, bashed by the fandom. Mm -hmm. And I think that was just, like, such a great Cho scene. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then Harry just, like, kind of walks out to the forest and runs into Luna and the Thestrals, um, which is really early for this to happen. It's supposed to happen, like... After Christmas? Or no, Hagrid comes back before Christmas. In the book. But he comes back after Christmas in the movie, I think. Um, but it's supposed to happen, like, in a care magical creatures class. He was supposed to learn about Thestrals, but instead they have Luna just in there. Deed in the Thestrals barefoot. Um, but the baby Thestral is so cute. And how it, like, doesn't want the apple at all. It's hilarious. Um... I will say, just because I can never unsee this, so I want everybody to suffer with me, before we get the scene where Harry goes out to the forest, like, right after the Skyving snack box scene, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione sit down, and Hermione notices, like, the I must not tell lies on Harry's hand, and she's like, you have to go to McGonagall. So, like, they're walking by the sofa. Hermione's drawstring from her sweatshirt is, like, off to the side over her shoulder she sits down we cut back her drawstring is in front going straight down her shirt mm-hmm. so now that because i can never watch that scene without seeing that now nobody else can either so you're welcome i can't remember if it was this movie or another movie i was watching like recently where i noticed a thing like that like you notice those things every once in a while and it really bothers me when i notice them i can't remember if it was something in this movie though yeah, but yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know what the explanation of Harry, like, randomly just wandering into the, f- like, forest is in this situation. Yeah. Um, seems kind of odd. And then I have a note here, like, do we learn about Luna's mother's death in the book? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's later, it's when, it's at the end, it's the part of the book you haven't listened to yet. Oh, there we go. Um, Sorry, oh wait, how I meant to do this at the beginning, I wanted you guys to guess who, if either of us or both of us finished the book, but Hermione, or Audrey just ratted me out. I almost just called you Hermione. Yeah. Thank I don't you. Know. You're welcome. I finished it. Katie did not. But to be fair, I only have 17 minutes left. I'm well, so it's close. showing because uh. after Harry talks to Nick, he runs into Luna, mm. and Luna is like, says she's sorry about Sirius, and Harry thinks to himself, he's like, wait, you can see Thestrals, like, do you know someone who died? And she talks about her mom then. Okay. Okay, so then the next scene is, like, McGonagall confronting Umbridge, presumably about Harry's punishment. Um, Like, she says, like, the medieval ways and stuff. And so they show a flash of Hermione, like, before this, and I don't know if we're supposed to assume that, like, Hermione told McGonagall about what Umbridge did to Harry, but I think they just wanted to, like, set up a McGonagall-Umbridge fight since they cut all of the good ones of those from the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... don't. Know, but this is the impetus... This is the impetus for, like, showing... This is the impetus for Umbridge taking more control because, like, they're showing, like, someone question her and she's like, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Budge, let me do shit. I think that it's hilarious that Umbridge refers to herself as a tolerant woman 
in this scene because like she's probably one of the most intoler intolerant yes. characters we know um yes. and then again i have the note like how did mcgonagall find out about this i do, like there definitely is a lingering shot on hermione so i don't know if they're kind of implying in that that hermione ratted like after harry explicitly was like do not do that I think that's what they're trying to imply. Um, and then we get the first educational decree. 24, I believe, is the first one. So we are to believe that there are 23 previous ones. I think it's... Is it 25? 23. 23. It's, 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 it's around the there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there are previous educational decrees. Oh, you're right. Oh, no. 24 is the one that bans... Gatherings. gatherings okay there are like so something about the decrees in the book there's like five yeah like they're at like i think 22 is the one that like establishes that if dumbledore can appoint someone the ministry can and then i think 23 is like the one that makes umbridge high inquisitor but th like five happen over the course of the year it's like the inquisitorial swap yeah i think like, like 27 banning, is that the highest one we they see they ban the quibbler article they ban weasley's products like there's that kind of stuff but in the movie they show like 700 yeah. and it's like boys and girls are not permitted to stand within a foot of each yeah. other it's like dumb shit that like like, music cannot be played in the common room or something like that. Yeah, I get that they're they're trying to be, like, Umbridge is no fun. But the thing about the decrees is that they're, like, dangerous in the fact that, like, it's the government, like, censoring education. Yeah. Because um, there's one where, like, it's, like, professors are not allowed to speak to students about things outside their subject yeah. matter. Like, the ones in the book are, like, have serious implications, and the ones in the movie are kind of dumb. And I get that they wanted to just, like, have a ton, but... There's no, like, weight to them, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have, like, the first real montage. And this is kind of showing what Audrey was just alluding to with the kind of dictator-like status that Umbridge gains with these educational decrees. Like, she tucks in people's shirts. She, like, makes the boy and girl that are making out in the hallway separate we see her um observing a trelawney class a snape class and we see the like pinning up of more educational decrees and we get the first like instance of the daily prophet theme that they have mm. running throughout the movie and i really like that i think it's a super effective way to kind of get across the information that they need and kind of mm -hmm. like showing the the like scope of this basically ministry takeover of hogwarts um and mm -hmm. i just think the daily the daily prophet is so interestingly composed and just looks so intriguing in yeah. general um, but I just think it was a really cool and smart way to kind of show this takeover. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I think that this is, like, really all we see of lessons. And that's, like, a kind of a common thing through the movies is lessons are really cut out. Um, the inspections are really most of what we see of lessons throughout this movie. Yeah. I think it's such a shame that they cut out the McGonagall inspection, like... It's clearly the best one in the book, so I don't know why you would cut it out of the movie. Like, instead, they just have Umbridge, like, measuring Flitwick and, like... Yeah, I mean... Like, they have to include the Trelawney yeah. one because, like, she tries to throw Trelawney out. But it just... It seemed weird to me, like, 
that's a good scene. At least keep it in as a deleted scene. I don't think it exists as a deleted scene. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I can think about, I literally have no idea whether this is true or not, is I do believe that through the filming of this, um, Maggie Smith was battling cancer. So oh, I don't right. know, like, if that really cut back the amount of, I like, right. filming time and scenes that she was kind of able to be in. Um, again, I have no idea, like, if that weren't the case, if they would have included those anyways, um, but that was just kind of something I was thinking about. Because they cut, like, a lot of her scenes, like, the career advice, um, the, I mean, they cut Quidditch, so they didn't have to have her scene with, um, Yeah, I mean, she's only in, like, the Umbridge confrontation, the Great Hall at the beginning. She is there when they, like, take Harry after the Arthur nightmare to Dumbledore's office. And she's there with Trelawney. And she's there with Trelawney. I really think those are the only times that we see her. Yeah, because they cut her, like, getting stunned. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And I hadn't thought of that, like, what it meant for the movie. Yeah. Oh, Maggie Smith, our queen. I know. Sorry, Dame Maggie Smith. Let's put some respect Dame. on her name. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then we get the first Cho sighting I have here. Yes, this is at the scene where the Umbridge, With Umbridge tries okay. to throw Trelawney out, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like the the climax of this montage is it ends with like Umbridge trying to throw Trelawney out. Um, that in the book that doesn't happen until the spring. Yeah, it's like kind of this suspense where they all know that Umbridge is gonna fire someone. Yeah, it's like is it gonna be? But Hagrid they don't know if Trelawney. it's gonna be Trelawney or Hagrid. Yeah. Um, but instead, this kind of happens right away. But they don't. They do this, but then they don't. Like we said, they don't mention the centaurs at all. They don't have friends come and teach divination. Um, so it doesn't really doesn't serve anything for the plot. I think it's just to show that like. Umbridge is sucks and like the teachers are resisting her yeah and then Dumbledore comes and like saves the day so I think this Mm -hmm. is a reminder to be like hey Dumbledore is still here he has like some power because we just saw that montage of like Umbridge basically taking over and people are like well where is Mm -hmm. Dumbledore and all of this this kind of serves as like that answer and then also we get kind of I guess the second instance of Dumbledore like brushing Harry off and I do think that this is one of the more effective, like, show-not-tells that happens in the movie with kind of Harry's mental state. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, it is really easy to show, and we don't have the, like, benefit of, like, monologuing and inner thoughts with Harry, so we can't have Harry be like, man, I'm so angry, Dumbledore won't speak to me. And so we have yeah. kind of these, like, few hints here and there I do think they go a little bit overboard especially when they're in Dumbledore's office and like he's literally like has his back to Harry the whole time um yeah but I do think it is one of the more effective like show don't tell instances of like these things that are plaguing Harry's like mental state yeah I think you're right I think this one particular though in particular is just kind of comical because yeah. Harry's like professor like he's like running after him and I'm like okay yeah I mean they definitely again I think they do go overboard but it is one of the ones that works the best with like the show don't yeah. tell kind of like how I brought up how we have no setup for Harry being upset about Ron and Hermione not telling him anything like mm-hmm. this at least we see like in the courtroom we see it here we see it when they go to his office after Arthur's attack. So there's at least some, like, background. Again, I don't know if the conclusion of this is really that um, good because there's really – the conclusion to this movie is kind of crappy in general. But 
that's something else. Yeah. And then they're like, the next thing I have is them being in the common room and Sirius showing up in the fire. Oh, is this right before Hermione, like, comes up with the DM? Yeah, because, like, Sirius shows up. I have no notes about what they talk about, so I don't know. I don't remember. But we get that, like, dialogue from Hermione. It's like, we need to teach ourselves or something like that. And then that's the only setup we get, and we jump straight into the first DA meeting. Yeah, at the Hogshead. I have just, like... Susan Bones, the only comment I have is, like, Susan Bones just to ask you about the Patronus. Um, otherwise, I feel like the meeting kind of does what it needs to do. Like, Harry is like, oh, you don't understand. Like, that was all luck. He has that line. Um, and clearly, every there's, like, some interest in him just to, like, find out what what's up with Harry. Um, and then afterwards... I really like how Hermione's like, at least one good thing came out of this. Like, Cho couldn't take her eyes off you. And I love how she's, like, really into being Harry's wingman. And then they show, like, Ginny in the background. And she's, like, has this, like, look on her face. Like, ugh. It's funny. Yeah, the only thing I have is I don't love how, like, ready and willing Harry appears in the movie to be, like, the leader of this organization like there's basically no pushback from Harry he's just like gung-ho about it and when they're on the bridge he's like rallying off like we need to do this we need to do this like I have this idea I have this idea um and again it's not like a super huge plot point but I just like don't know if I love how like eager he is to jump into that role because it doesn't seem super hairy um and then I have we've been on that bridge I have we've been on that bridge together (laughs) we have yeah yeah and then, like, the infamous line from Hermione, like, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Breaking the Breaking rules. rules. <laughs> Who are you? And what have you done with Hermione Grant? Yeah. And then, the next note I have is Neville finding the room of requirement. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be Dobby. Yeah. Um, but, like, I guess if they, they're cutting Dobby out entirely, I guess it, I like that they choose to have Neville be the one who finds well, it. Well, I mean, I don't it's... Know. Like, like, why even have Dobby if you can have Neville? Like, he's replaced, he replaces Dobby in Goblet of Fire, too. Yeah, he does. Um, the only thing I have is, like, he only walks by the wall once, whereas, like, in canon, in book yeah. canon, you were supposed to walk by it three times, thinking only of, and like, you what can't, you want. Like, I don't know. Like, has I nobody ever walked accidentally... by that wall and thought of something that they want before? Yeah. Like. Well, so, like, I get that, like, a lot of people accidentally find it. You know, like, Fred and George accidentally found it, and, like... um, Dumbledore does. Dobby did, Dumbledore did. But, like, I don't like that Neville accidentally finds it. Like, I don't like that they accidentally find it for this purpose. Like, it feels... It's too convenient, which, like, in the book, they don't accidentally find it for this purpose, so it's fine, but it just is kind of weird. Um... I have, again, who the fuck is Nigel? Because <laughs> um, Nigel features in these um, 
initial meeting. Yeah, well, going back to the room requirement, Hermione, like, immediately knows what it is. She's, like, rattles off, like, it's also known as the come-and-go room. Like, you, mm-hmm. it appears when some need, like, someone needs it. And, like, she has no idea what this is in the book. Like, yeah. she doesn't even trust it, the fact that it's not, like, in Hogwarts yeah. history. Like, um, history. And then there's also kind of the toilet reference by Ron. Ron is like, so if you really needed the toilet, it would become yeah. a toilet. And that's obviously kind of nodding to the fact that, like, that's the first mention of it that we get in the books about Dumbledore saying, like, he he was a room full of chamber pots when he really needed to use the, bre- like, mm-hmm. restroom at night. And then a really, really big problem I have with this is Filch knows where the room is the entire time. Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely no need for somebody to rat about them in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, at the end, this is kind of jumping ahead quite a bit, like, Umbridge just busts through it. Yeah. Whereas, like, we know that she's known where it is the entire time. Why didn't she just bust through it at the beginning? Like, it's so... It makes no sense. Like, it literally makes zero sense. And then the fact that, like, Cho ratted them out, again, there was no need for anybody to rat them out at that point. Fulch already knew that the door was there and that's where they were. Are we to believe that, like, he just held out that information from Umbridge this entire time? And it's like they knew, he knew when they were in there too. It's not like he didn't know if the room was empty. You know, like he knew that they were in there. Yeah. It just, it's such a, like, flawed logic. Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, a couple other things from, like, DA. We have the DA montage now, I guess. Well, the Ron and Hermione thing. scene happens before the montage starts. Oh, Where right. they, yes, like, yes, yes. face off against each other and Fred and George, like, bet on who's going to win, yeah. and I love that. It's so cute. I think that kind of kicks off the montage. Yeah, it starts kind of right that. there. Um, Fred and George look kind of scared when, like, Ginny does a reducto to, like, whatever the thing they're doing, like, in the air. Um, and then there's another shot of Ginny kind of, like, looking back at Harry when Harry goes to talk to Cho mm. at the end of the montage, I guess, because it's, like, for when he's about to kiss her um and she makes another face um but the da montage is a lot of fun yeah the inquisitorial squad is mentioned here i have Ginny badass count for the movies one and that might be her last badass count that she ever gets in the movies um (laughs) i love how happy everyone is for neville when he finally does expelliarmus it's so cute and then my last note so Harry ends the DA meeting. He's like, we won't meet again until after the holidays. He's, like, walking towards Cho. Fred and George, like, pull him aside, and they're like, hey, um, like, we can slip Umbridge some fever fudge. Like, it'll give her these massive pus-filled pustules. Like, why Mm -hmm. would fever fudge give somebody pus-filled pustules? Would it not give them a fever? I'm pretty sure this is in the book as well. They, like, don't want to have... Fred and George don't want to have go to Quidditch practice, and they're like, "Oh, they mentioned that that's like something wrong with it. It's a, it's a bad side effect. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure it's the fever fudge. I can't quite remember. Wait, oh, here it's definitely even. Yeah, fever fudge. Um, and Ron is like, "Does it work?" And he said, "Yeah, you'll temp." Fred says, "Your temperature will go right up, but they give you these masses, massive pus filled boils." And it's, like, okay. in a place that they don't show the public oh. that makes riding a broom uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I won't get mad about that anymore. And then 
Harry and Cho kiss. And I've thought. Yeah, so <laughs> I said that they leave room for Jesus with that kiss because they're standing so far apart and just, like, leaning to reach their, each other. Their hands are um, just by their sides. Listen, it's still not as bad as the Harry and Ginny kiss in Deathly Hallows Part <laughs> At least they move their lips. Harry and Ginny do not move their that lips. That is true. That is true. I was fully prefer- prepared to their... I was fully prepared for there to be no lip movement in this kiss, but there was, so I was like, oh, okay. Not as bad yeah. as maybe I thought it would, or I remember it being, but yeah. Also, this just gave me an idea, like, when I wrote that. No, um, for our love episode, our Patreon one, I think we should rank kisses. worst and best kisses. From the movie so. or from the book? Yeah, for, oh. A book and movie. Book and movie. Okay. Maybe we can, maybe we won't rank, th- or maybe pick, Not pick all like of top them. two, bottom like, two. Choose a best and yeah, choose yeah, a worst. Yeah. yeah, from from book, from movie. Okay, I'll do, um, I'll have to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so we have kind of like Hermione and Ron grilling Harry on his first kiss. Yeah. And this scene is actually really close to how it is in the book, honestly. Like, Ron is kind of, like, Harry mentions it being wet because she'd been crying. And then Hermione's like, can't you understand how she's been feeling? And both Ron and Harry are like, people have feelings? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get the, then, like, emotional range of a teaspoon line. Right. And I will say something that literally made me laugh out loud when I was listening to this book is Harry, I believe, like, as he's going up to his dormitory or, like, as he's falling asleep that night, he thinks, like, that should be a class they teach at Hogwarts, like, learning how the like, the female brain works or something. And I was like, oh, my God. I think they, like, do they tell Hermione that she should teach that or something? I don't have a re- recollection of that happening. Maybe Ron might, like, like, make a comment, like, you need to teach yeah. classes on this or something. Um, they might say that in the movie. I don't know. I can't remember. But, yeah, it is just, like, the... Uh, the cluelessness in general that Harry has around, like, his relationship with Cho and specifically on their, like, his inner monologue and thoughts during their first date is, like, so hilarious to me. And I think so perfectly captures, like, a young person in a relationship. He's like, do I grab her hand? Like, just do it. Just Mm -hmm. fucking do it. Like, it's not that hard, you know? And, like, overthinking everything. Like, the people next to us are kissing. Like, do we need to be kissing? Like, I think it just is so... (laughs) Good. I love it. Yeah. All right. I think we should call it. Yeah, we're like I know. Weird. The only thing I have, sorry, is when Hermione starts to laugh after the, like, teaspoon, it seems so much like a yeah. blooper to me and, like, is really odd because her Ron and Harry aren't laughing. They're just kind of, like, smiling, but Hermione's, like, <laughs> like, full-on laughing. I don't know. It just is such an odd scene to me. But, yeah. All right. So, who knows if that's actually going to be halfway through, but that's what we decided. Um, Come back in a week for the rest of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. We figured this was kind of a good stopping point. It's kind of a tonal shift. Like, it goes from them laughing and, like, Harry having his first kiss. And then the next scene, spoiler alert, is, like, when Arthur's attacked at the ministry. So, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yep. Um... So yeah, just real quickly, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, typically, our episodes are released every other Tuesday. Um, if you're listening to this one, 
around release date. There'll be another one in a week just because it's kind of a continuation of the same episode. And make sure you leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and then you can find us on social media at Wizard Studies Podcast um, on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our Facebook group at Wizard Studies Podcast Group. You can find us on Twitter at Wizard Studies, and you can find us. You can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail dot com. Sorry, I was like not prepared for that at all. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> all right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Right.